Sorry, just reprimanding my children. I'm trying to mute myself before I reprimand my children to go easy on the internet. You know, I would say, though, for the audience, this was probably easier on the ears for than our 10-minute intro of baseball uh, baloney with Steven um, a while ago. I think this is more tolerable to some. <laughs> All right, is that, is that any better? Uh, say more. Uh, Mark Tomlin says, lol for real, download the app on your phone. All right. Give me your. I'm gonna. I'm gonna download the app. You give me your take on uh, on your on our predictions from last year. Our predictions. All right. Well, I will kick it off. So happy New Year, everyone. As Brian maybe said and maybe didn't. Um, what a year. Um, I was looking listening back to some of the predictions, Brian. I think in addition to the predictions, we made a resolution, and the resolution was to start posting podcast episodes of this. And it only took us until March or May or something to make that real. Uh, and we did. So um, in addition to uh, predictions last year, we made this resolution. And after that, we had um, my favorite stat was that uh, we had 58,000 downloads of the podcast. And on YouTube, we had 18,000 hours of listening, which equates to two years worth of listening. So in the single year, we had two years worth of listeners. Um, when it comes to predictions from last year, um, I got to say, I was very proud of my Web3 prediction. And I Web feel like I'm, yeah, it was I, I mean, I don't want to throw my arm, my shoulder out, patting myself on the back. But um, but, <laughs> but I said that Web3 was going to be dead and we weren't going to be talking about it. And we barely remember what it was. And I think that may be a little far, but I think we can agree that like, no, it's pretty dead. We're not really talking about it. It is definitely not yeah, I think that this is the we had not recorded our predictions prior to this past year. So prior to this this past year, when you and I made predictions together, we have had to rely on our collective self-interested memories as we've recalled <laughs> the predictions of one another. And but it was interesting. Did you, I assume you listened to our to that episode. I, I did. Yes, yes. And I know that I, I said explicitly that this was my heart talking and not my head talking. Right. And so but score one for score one from heart. Hey, score for heart. Hey, hey, suck it, head. Heart but the heart takes yeah. it home. What do you know? Uh, what do you know? Stupid head. Constantly getting us in trouble. Heart knows all the answers. Right. Uh, uh, the, the, no, I, I so and I then I also regretted the fact that we only gave ourselves one web three prediction apiece. <laughs> I have no regrets about that because I feel like otherwise it would just be I mean, it was just too tempting. It was just too tempting. Because I think you were all probably right on the on our our prediction. So, I mean, the, the, I mean, your your big Web three prediction was a big a one year flame out, like a big flame out of Web three. Are you you're claiming credit for that one? I mean, of course, absolutely. Not only am I claiming credit, well, so I in particular, I. I claimed that there would be a big Web3 flame out and that both Web3 advocates and its malcontents would claim vindication. So yes. I am, I'm going to take full credit with that one on a specific flame out and that's the mm. Luna Terra flame out that happened in March. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, that, that didn't take long. I, 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 I really do feel like I go with very, 
very close to the top of the country. And I think you you got to remember, you got stood with his rear prediction that Web3 was going to be the next web van um, and the, us qualifying with that meant. I mean, I think that everyone was very skeptical, skeptical was a skeptic about Web3 and, and we were all basically thinking, we were all, I mean, it's the, the, this technologists, and I think, you know, Kelsey had said he'd never seen technologists so divided. Um, and yeah. um, I think that we were all basically, the, those skeptics and cynics were, were uh, the kid. So, yeah, I'm taking full, I, yeah. I'm taking full credit for that one, for sure. I feel that, like, with Luna and Terra, um, the, and I do feel like the FTX bailout of, like, Celsius in particular um, was, you did, you did have this moment Early in 22, where the, the, the there were people who were welcoming the, the the culling of the herd, and the weaker among them were being eliminated. But of course, the whole, whole premise is flawed, and now we, we saw that with FTX and now the bank. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, another prediction from last year that that I really enjoyed was, and I had forgotten, Laura uh, predicted. That Discord um, was going to screw it up. That like Discord was going to lose the plot and uh, alienate their users, and uh, and and that was going to be it for them. Uh, and and Laura uh, emailed me with a statement that she <laughs> she's a prepared she's prepared a statement that yeah, so right. she, she she Laura <laughs> she says she may be not be able to join because she's uh, she may be giving birth or she may be asleep because the baby is making her sleep. But she says, um, my 2022 prediction was that Discord would make everyone mad. I'm actually very pleased this didn't happen and Discord is still going strong. Part of me is still a cynic uh, and, and thinks that someone will try to come up with some boneheaded strategy to make the revenue line go up even more. But I'd also like to believe that Discord and its investors really, really understand the core product at this point and will not do anything to distract from that. This does not count as a prediction, but you may all still hold me to that statement. So, wow! It sounds like that was almost prepared by at the the request of an investor in Discord. It feels like there's a, uh, but I think well, I think Laura actually, I think she's uh, underselling herself a little bit in that she made a very important observation about the rise of Discord and the importance of sort of witness the fact that we're here. I mean, yeah. Twitter's implosion is not something that anyone saw. Um, and it's amazing how much can change in a year that in a, I mean, it, it, it would just have seemed very implausible a year ago. You know, so many of one-year predictions, there's really no action on. And then you get these things that are just like explosive that we've not seen. It was just interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if, Folks who are here, if you want to join and share a prediction, you can raise your hand and we'll unmute you and you can, you can, you know, we'll call on you and you can share uh, what you think is coming. Um, Brian, do you want to uh, open it up first or do you want to, do you want to lead off or do you want to close it out or what do you want to do? Well, I mean, I kind of had this fantasy of getting to better audio, but I, um, I, how... Good, good, good. What, then why don't we wait, wait for your better audio? But, um, you know... I'm gonna I'm gonna share uh, I'm gonna start with I'm gonna uh, drizzle sprinkle mine out over over the next hour or whatever. But I did want to share one. Um, I feel like one year predictions are hard because they basically already need to be true. Viz your <laughs> Web three prediction. But my um, my one year prediction is that 2023 is gonna be the year of tech workers unionizing. So uh, and some of that's gonna be precipitated by 
a, like increasing return to work or feelings of you know, imposing on on the work life balance and work styles that folks have. They're going to see uh, tech workers who previously weren't really that unionized starting to unionize. Are we talking union in the in the uh, in the legal sense? I mean, this is like local to. I'm not talking about like a C structure. Yes, I mean as a as a like you're paying dues into the union, uh, collective organizing, collective bargaining, that kind of structure. Wow. Okay. So this is like real. Uh, yes. And it seems not possible. Yes, people writing software in a union. And that that's a one year. I'll take your. That's a one-year prediction. That's gonna that's gonna be the zeitgeist of this year. Yes, swinging for the fences. Uh, uh, TFPK, you joined. Uh, give, give us your predictions. What are one? How you doing? I'm I'm doing well. My name's Tom, by the way. Uh, I just got oh. my TFPK on the internet. Um, well, well, so yeah, well, I. No, <laughs> thank you. Um, so I've got three predictions, one, three, and six. Uh, one of them is a sort of safety prediction, and I um, it'll be interesting to see if you can figure out which one that is. <laughs> so my one-year prediction is that I think that all of the good chat AI systems, like, you know, uh, uh, chat GPT, that they will all be expensive enough that their frivolous use declines significantly, but they'll mm -hmm. still be significantly used in academic misconduct because it's cheaper than all the alternatives. <laughs> Still the the cheapest way to cheat. Love it. Yes. Um, so I, mean, I think that one, uh, I don't know if you want me to talk about it or just to go through all of them, what's, what's easier? No, go, go, no, go for it, Brian. I, 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 I with a sketchy robot voice in cell phone in a tunnel. Um, the, I, no, I think this is going to be a big theme this year, I think, among the predictions. So... I tell my yeah, I'm on a little bit. What do you see out there? Because I've got some predictions in this domain as well, so I'd be curious for you to provide some more context there. I mean, both of those statements are basically based based on one piece of context uh, each. So the expensive stuff. I mean, uh, Microsoft was talking about how expensive it was to run one of these AI systems, and I think they're only going to get more expensive. And so I think that the sort of cost benefit analysis of like the research value of having lots of people use it and the publicity value of everyone seeing how cool it is will be start to be outweighed by like these instances cost a heck of a lot of money so um that's why i think that they're going to become more expensive and i think that's going to push out a lot of the silly use like people um you know posting to stack overflow with this kind of stuff like that's no longer going to make sense if you have to pay money for it um especially if it's like a per use payment of money as opposed to like a you know sign up for a subscription per month uh, and then i mean i've been working at a university for the last couple of years and we're already seeing like stuff that looks a lot like people using ai to cheat um so and, and i like and knowing how much it costs to pay a ghostwriter to complete an assignment like it's not a lot of money but it's more money than it's going to cost to have an ai do it so that's that's why i said that give a sense of what the per use cost is and i know that, that i'm sure that varies based on the content and so forth but do you have a do you have a sense of it oh, that's that's such a good question i i don't have a good sense of it but I'm, I, I'm i'll say something i reckon somewhere in the range of like maybe a couple of cents 
per use or maybe a little bit more than that, but like it'll very much be like the AWS style of pricing in you know tiny increments so that you don't notice it until you're using it a hundred thousand times, and then AWS is making all their money. Or in this case, uh, Microsoft is making all of the money. Huh. Adam, is my audio better? It is better. Welcome. Is it better, or do you just want to stop talking about it? It's, it's fine. Legitimately you. better. I I can hear. Four out of five words. No, no, five out of five words. <laughs> five out of five. We listen again. Okay, yeah. good. All right, I'm I'm in on the app. So score one for the app. Um, yeah. So uh, d- definitely uh, interesting stuff on and, and so Tom, if you 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 think that the cost of this is just going to become exorbitant? I don't think it's going to be exorbitant, but I think it's going to be big enough that a lot of the uses that we've seen so far. Um, which are just sort of, you know, like people trying to post it to Stack Overflow or people using it um, just to do something funny or int- or like uh, that kind of thing is going to go away because the moment that you have to attach a credit card to doing that sort of thing, it's already going to be more like more effort than a lot of people are going to want to put in, I suspect. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there will be, you know, serious applications of it that will start being used. That's why I said like frivolous use will decline, but I do think they're going to be a massive part of... Um, the next couple of years, and I suspect that other people have predictions related to that as well. Yeah. So, and actually, on we, and Adam, maybe now that hopefully you can hear me, we can set. Uh, so, a, a couple of reminders for folks: if you could, when you make your predictions, if you could write them down and submit them as a PR when we put up the show notes, um, it's I think really helpful. So, Tom, if you wouldn't mind, as you as you write down, the, as you make your one year and three year, six year predictions, definitely write them down. So, we make sure we get them right, and it would. Uh, Adam, I thought it was really helpful that you put the marker in the audio so we could go listen to the, the actual context surrounding it. Um, so I, oh, I didn't do that. Like so, someone much more helpful than I did, like from last year. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. That, 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 sadly, that was on me. But I would say also PRs can go up like right now. There is a placeholder for the notes for today. So you don't even have to wait for tomorrow or whatever. So make your predictions and note the time and throw them up there. That'd be tremendously helpful. And so, and then, Tom, do you have uh, three and six-year predictions related to uh, to either large language models or OpenAI or ChatGPT or what have you? So, I I tried to keep them all quite different um, mm-hmm. on the basis that you know it's more, more interesting if different people come up with different stuff. But I don't want to steal other people's time to contribute. So, I'm I'm happy to go through them all to wait till later if that's better. Yeah. Go for it. I think. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Uh, so my three-year prediction is that a new trend called something stupid like Web3 or Web4 will emerge. It's probably <laughs> going to be to do with either AI or the metaverse. And I wrote metaverse mm-hmm. in like SpongeBob text. Um, and some people are going to make a lot of money off it, off it uh, but time will prove that it's a fad. Hmm. Feels like an evergreen. <laughs> Feels like Right. Yeah. Right. Will all the investors like have a, uh, you know, pile in behind it and then... And then pretend it never happened. Sounds right. This set also sounds very likely. If it wasn't obvious, yeah, this this one was my was my safety prediction. I wasn't sure what to say, and I thought there's no way that this doesn't happen. I think it, it does feel pretty safe. I gotta say, I want to make I I, I kind of want to make you bolder in terms of all right. So metaverse is this going to be a pro metaverse fad or is this going to be an anti metaverse fad? I think it's going to be a, a pro metaverse fad. It's going to be, you know, Ooh, some okay. new system that everyone is buying, probably not made by Facebook. I mean, maybe made by, or by Meta, probably not made by Meta. Like I reckon it'll be some other company that starts selling something 
and everyone starts swearing by, oh, you know, this this amazing new thing is going to revolutionize X, and then a large community is going to form around how great X is, and then we're all going to realize that X actually provides no additional utility, um, and therefore, you know, people will invest a lot of money in it, and it'll turn out to be not much. When we um, say metaverse, are we? Because I kind of feel, like, Adam, when you say metaverse, are you implying VR? Because I feel, I feel like I'm implying VR when I, I, I mean, I'm like, it's it's Zuckerberg's I, vision of the metaverse. I don't even, I, I'm not even clear on what that is. So I, I don't know whether it's more VR or more AR. Um, but yeah, I, I, don't I know. like, I yeah. could even see it being some advanced form of like Second Life. That people start saying, because that's what we're already seeing is, is you know, um, online spaces that are effectively kind of games that also have other aspects to them as well. And, you know, it, it might just be a new second life that people say this is going to revolutionize the web and then doesn't. And Adam, are your teen- did, 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 is your teenager into VR at all? Not, no. In fact, he used to be briefly. Uh, like uh, we, we have yeah. gone through a mm-hmm. multiple headsets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's over. So, uh, the, the same for us. Multiple. I, I went through a headset, and actually, it's funny because he, he and I were comparing notes, and he, he's kind of kept track of that headset, which has been bought and sold by like seven different kids. And <laughs> and I'm like, that's kind of a bad sign. He's like, no, no, it's definitely a bad sign because his view on it is like this is fun for a little bit. For a little period of time, a short period of time, when you are by yourself, have you ever been in the? Have you been in the room when someone has got VR goggles on? Oh, that's hilariously ridiculous! Yes, absolutely. And why is it that the animal brain is overwhelmed with the desire to screw with that person? I mean, overwhelming. Is that just me? <laughs> no, I think that that is, a, or at least photograph them. This is everyone. No, I to- totally. Yeah. Right. It's like I. I, mean, I don't know if you guys. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Brian. No, 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 go ahead, please. I was going to say, I don't know if you've seen that game that's like walking on a plank. The only time I've ever played VR with anybody else in the room was showing them this game, getting them to pretend to walk on the plank, which is looks like it's 50, you know, 50 stories in the air, and then going up behind them and either whispering or, or you know, <laughs> pushing them or something like that, which I realize outs me as a terrible, terrible person. Um, no, I think it just. But I feel like they kind of signed up for it. I th- again, I feel this is like super deep in the animal brain. I feel the same way around. You know, I worked for Samsung briefly, and the Samsung campus in Mountain View has these Samsung robots that patrol it, that are like these cones that are like five foot tall cones. Are these and like I- armed Roombas? They are. They are unarmed Roombas. You and. <laughs> And it is the it is the least menacing robot imaginable, and I have never wanted to run something over more. I, mean, I feel I'm generally like a, a rule abider, and I'm like I want to destroy this thing. So I am. I, so I, yeah, Tom, I think you're you're in good company. All right. So the, we, but you think we have a pro metaverse three year prediction? And then do you have a six year prediction? I do indeed. This one is probably going to be the most controversial. It might be. We'll, we'll see. Um, my six-year prediction is that a large or prestigious university starts teaching their CS1 course in Rust, and then mm. time reveals mm. that it was a mistake to do so. Oh! <laughs> I think that that is... That's a, I, don't, I, I don't think that's a controversial prediction. I think it's a fair prediction. I think that reminds me of, like, the... I mean, 
Adam, the, I mean, you're for the, the, the Adam took a uh, your first CS course was an accelerated course that was taught in Scheme, right? Am I remembering that correctly? Uh, I so actually I took the course in Java, but I TA'd and helped develop the course the, right in Scheme and then ML, yeah. And the and so I think it's like actually I wonder if it will if that first CS course will be if you will bifurcate that first CS course into folks that are ready for a more advanced introduction course and like a, a, a course for concentrators versus a course for non-concentrators or something where it within that because rust would be i don't know adam what do you think about rust as a, as a first the first uh, well first first of all you know we we both said jump to first language but it's not for, first language yeah, you know, yeah. in in 2029 right in the in the distant future like will this really be the first language like what will i mean for some Entering freshmen certainly, but for a lot, like they'll they'll have dabbled in at least a couple of languages. Yeah. So maybe at that point they're they'll be ready for that that kind of level of uh, you know programming language sophistication. Although Tom, I do like the parlay bet, which is that they will regret <laughs> this choice. And it, but I think that yeah. that actually happens. I think that's, really that's probably the more controversial part of it. Sorry. No, no, it's it's interesting one because I think that universities do this a fair bit where they they have some bifurcation of the intro and they try it out and often it works and sometimes it doesn't and there's a cohort of folks that they sort of need to to fix along the way. Uh, and I think that's not impossible yeah. in this case. I, I think one, uh, it's interesting because talking to quite a few people in the Rust community, um, I think people have been saying... Uh, especially the Rust EDU group, which um, I w recently became involved in and seems really awesome. But one of their goals is to try and teach CS1 in, uh, in, in Rust, or to make it possible to teach it in Rust. And I still have some very big reservations about teaching CS1 in Rust in the same way that I know um, people who are prominent in the C++ community have reservations about teaching C++ as a first language. Um, and I'm or, speaking or as somebody who's okay. Yeah, but I like so I, I helped teach a Rust course at a university last term, um, and I don't think we could possibly have taught it to first or even most second years at the university and had anywhere near the same level of understanding. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see either I'll be wrong and Rust will make big strides to be much more. I don't want to say beginner-friendly, but at least sensible to teach in CS1, uh, or we'll see courses try and use it and then realize that it's actually not a good fit, fit for a lot of their students. I've, you know, I, it, I, it's, it's really interesting, I think, not just through the thought of the evolution of the language, but the evolution of the documentation and our familiarity teaching the language and so forth. So there's a lot of ancillary stuff, as you, as you allude to, Tom, that facilitates that. I think it's a really interesting one. It is. Uh, Brian, from from all our alma mater, I talked to the systems professor, Tom Deppner, and asked him about Rust. And he said, I don't really see a place for it in the curriculum. And, it, and he is tasked with not... not yeah, he's a place for it in the curriculum. I mean, that, okay, like, this is like borderline. It does not have a right to exist. I mean, this is, this is <laughs> like pretty extreme. I, I thought it was pretty interesting. For what it's, for what it's worth... Sorry, Adam. Please. No, no, please stop. Um, like, uh, and I don't want to derail this into a discussion about teaching Rust at universities and universities in general, which is a whole separate topic. But um, I think one of the troubles with universities is because a lot of them, at least my university, teaches 
sort of discrete concepts in different courses. You've got the networking course and the operating systems course. Rust really doesn't fit well into any of those disciplines because it's it's too big to be able to talk about any one discipline with it, but it's too um like like but it's not its own discipline. You can't have unless you want to run a Rust course, which is what we did. Um often universities don't want to run a course about a particular language and there's very valid reasons for doing that. But then you know, if you're going to teach Rust for the operating systems course, not only do you have to teach operating systems, which are already a large topic, you've also then got to teach Rust and explain why it's better than C. If you want to teach networking in Rust, you know, it's the same problem of mm-hmm. Rust is too big to justify teaching it in a particular uh, concept-related course. And unless you can justify teaching a Rust-related course, it's very hard to fit in. I mean, it would feel like it would fit in the kind of the software engineering course, kind of a, a second year, second semester kind of um software engineering course i mean that same professor had us i mean it and adam you're describing kind of courses that that may have gone too far a bridge too far in terms of of uh, getting too aggressive retooling things and he did exactly that with c plus plus and it was way too early for c plus plus and it was a mess and it was all there was a, a lot of pain people hitting compiler bugs and a bunch of other issues and not getting tom just to your point not able to get the abstractions that you're trying to teach about the operating system because they're so lost in the abstractions about the language so yeah so i'm looking forward to the so the blog entry is going to be like whoops i rewrote the course in rust is that the one i'm looking for in six years tom yeah i think i think that may be what what we see or at least what we'll see i mean maybe it's not six years because universities move so glacially slowly but in six years it's people started to have discussions about was this the right choice or universities that have written uh, written their course in rust starting to look at other languages that sort of thing yeah i think it's a really interesting one good predictions all right we uh want to get someone else up here adam yeah, uh, pulling up Ben and then back. You are next. Tom, thanks for joining. Thanks so much. Ben, uh, ben what do you have? Yeah, uh, so I have uh, three predictions. Uh, first, and this is the one year, so it's basically already happening. Uh, <laughs> Tree Borrows is going to be implemented in Miri by Ralph Ooh. and this person I've not seen yet, except for one small PR. Um, and people will be excited that it theoretically supports programming patterns that stacked borrows does not permit, but it will ultimately not have a huge impact on the amount of aliasing UB in the ecosystem. So um, I think you may want to define some terms there. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, stacked borrows is the existing prototype aliasing model for Rust. It describes how you can interleave, if at all, uses of references and raw pointers. Um, it's based generally off of the similar behavior you get from safe code. If you just have references, you can create, for example, multiple immutable references so long as you use them in a strict stack discipline. So if you only use the most recently created mutable reference, you can then sort of back up and use an older one so long as you don't go forward and try to use a newer one again. Uh, all of this is effectively implicit. The 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 the, 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 yes. pro, the programmer has to have kind of an intuitive feel that this is happening. Yes, in in safe code, um, you don't have to worry about this. The borrow checker just handles this effectively. Um, but in unsafe code, it's tricky. This bounds the aliasing optimizations that you can tell LLVM about or implement yourself, and checking it requires a substantial runtime, which is what Miri provides. Um, 
but the the problem with tree borrows is that uh, while I'm pretty sure it will fix this particular programming pattern that people refer to as reference to header, where you want to pass access to a larger data structure to a function by passing a reference to just a component of it, turning the reference into a point and then offsetting that outside the size of the referent. This is a programming yeah. pattern that does exist. It's very useful. Yes. Um, but uh, as far as it's brutal, aware, it, it is brutal. I, I, I use this pattern a lot in C and breaking this pattern for me uh, was a big part of learning Rust and accepting that that pattern was no longer going to be part of what I, I just like that. Mm -hmm. it, it, it was because I, I was really trying hard to to get this to work. I, I, I thought of it as intrusive data structures where you've got a data structure within a data structure and you're passing that embedded data structure it, it, mutably. Um, of course, see it's all mutable, but um, and it is it is. So, I mean, we use this in the in the operating system kernel to implement. Um, so you can have a single kind of object that is present on many different data structures because of all these embedded data structures within it. But that is just like Rust is like, no, <laughs> you're not doing yeah, it. So like, so like in the Lumos kernel, that's for AVL trees and linked lists. Yep, everywhere, like all over the place. Everywhere. Everywhere, and it's. I mean, it's nice in that you can have a single thing, a single, you know, a Z node that is on like six different trees at once. Um, right. But it's a pattern, so that's interesting. That sees it, so this will allow that kind of pattern bend. Yeah. So the supposed, and again, right? There's no implementation, so I can't, you know, or it's not completed yet. Um, the the biggest change with tree borrows is that turning a pointer into a reference doesn't shrink its provenance to the size of the referent. So you can then cast back to a raw pointer and offset it outside the size of the reference, right? So if, if you have you know an, an array of U8s, right, you get a pointer, which is provenance over the whole array. You then turn that into a reference to the first element. You can then turn that back into a pointer and then offset it to another element of the array, for example. Or you could do it with like struct casting right to access members. Um, and and the, what, what, what impact did you say this was going to have on uh, undefined behavior? Yeah, this will make certain patterns. For example, people have code bases where they've used the reference to header pattern, and they're basically because Ralph has been saying for years now that he will eventually make it well defined. They're basically like crossing their fingers and trying to test with Miri as best they can. With Miri stacked borrows implementation, just saying they have UB, they're just sort of hoping that it's going to be fine once Miri is able to check it with a more permissive aliasing model. Um, the the problem is that. Uh, you will still have aliasing requirements to uphold about the regions which you offset this round-tripped pointer into. And I'm not sure how much people will be able to uphold those requirements. Uh, when you say um, people able to uphold, you mean... <laughs> The, the, are, are is people that I've lost track of people as the programmer? Sorry, or sorry. The yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, the programmer, the programmer. Okay. And... The, so the, this is going to prevent effectively alias disambiguation as an optimization. Uh, no, alias disambiguation will still exist. Uh, you as the programmer will have some complicated invariant to maintain about how you access the memory that you want to then turn this reference back into a pointer and then access. So you'll you'll still have some sort of aliasing obligation. I don't know exactly what it is, but there will be some. Got it. Well, so, and this is a, so, and th this is a uh, one-year prediction. So the, the, this is, you see this, on the, the, this must be work that's well underway. Yeah, as far as I can tell. Neat. Yeah, and, and Adam, do you use Miri a lot? No, I've never used it. How about you? 
I have not, um, but we've got uh, certainly many of our colleagues have. I mean, that's something I, yes. I I would like to. I mean, I also really just try to avoid writing. I get so scared now when I'm writing unsafe code um, that I really, I really do try to. I try to stick it. Try to keep it pretty safe and pretty defined. Yeah. No. You and me both. I think I've I've made. I mean, this is not a controversial opinion, but like unsafe Rust feels much more unsafe than regular C, uh, and I feel much more over my skis on those. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Ben, good one. Your prediction? What do you do? You have a? You, you said you got a three year and a six year too. Yep. Uh, three years. Rust will have another IR, and it will be an SSA IR that will be used to implement some interesting new optimizations on Mir to reduce the amount of LLVM IR that the compiler. Uh, emits. But, okay, what, what's, uh, what's an SSA IR? Yeah, mean? yeah. Uh, so LLVM has this IR form called static single assignment. Basically, uh, all of your variables are immutable, and you can only write to them once. So this this makes a whole bunch of data flow facts and transformations very simple, but you need to like get into SSA form first, and that's not always easy. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a but on this one. Um, while this will theoretically make the uh, Rust compiler faster, people will build uh, greater abstractions in that time, especially with upcoming new features in Rust. And overall, people will not notice the compile time improvement. So this is—I was going to ask what, what the, the so the, the net of this is a compile time improvement. Yes, that that is the yeah, idea right. for a lot of mere optimizations. Yeah, is to, yeah. to just cut on the amount of IR that you shift to the next stage of the compiler. But that's interesting. But no, I, I would have actually honestly guessed that you're cutting down on the IR to allow it to generate better code. But it's actually to just cut cut down on the amount of work it needs to go do. Well, uh, so that's mostly the six-year prediction. Ah, here we go. Six-year. Um, by the way, you get the promise to come back in one, three, and six-year predictions exactly <laughs> to help us. What, what, I, Adam, I can just imagine you, you know, be like, okay, I've been searching the internet for the last three hours, and I still can't tell if this prediction came true or not. Like, I, I, the, That's right. I'm on the internet archive searching <laughs> for what we meant by SSA in 2023. Right. So, yeah, what's so, your signal? Uh, so, this was like two weeks ago. Uh, Rust formed a new team called the Operational Semantics Team, and their job, as opposed to the language team, is to specify all the semantics for unsafe code that we haven't pinned down yet, including aliasing and validity, mm. all sorts of other horrifying things that need to be figured out. Um, there are a number of people, most notably Patrick Walton, who are chomping at the bit to have uh, semantics pinned down so that they can implement very interesting uh, optimizations. So in six years, I'm predicting that Rust will be widely regarded as a faster language than C and C++ on account of these optimizations having been implemented. That's really interesting. Uh, I, my experience is that for the for a bunch of stuff that I do, it already is a faster language because the abstractions are better. Um, and my the, the, C's lack of composability makes it really, really hard to implement certain kinds of data structures in ways that can be actually reused. And Rust, by contrast, so it, it makes it really easy. So I, I, not that I've, when I took a, stop, a stopwatch to a particular program that I wasn't see and I rewrote in Rust, I was shocked when my Rust was like thirty percent faster, and it was thirty percent faster because it was able to use a B tree, and my C was using an AVL tree, um, and because a B tree in C is absolutely brutal. But yeah, that's that's exciting. That, that's definitely exciting. Yep. Those are those are good predictions. 
Good stuff. Very, uh, uh, very rustation predictions. <laughs> Thank you. Talking my book. There you go. Absolutely. Uh, I've invited back up, and because that's slow, I've also invited Ian up. Let's see, there we go. Back here, you are. Can you hear us? And Ian. Uh, Ian, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Terrific. Uh, uh, welcome back. Um, what, do you have one, three, and six-year predictions? To be clear, are you welcoming me Ian. back, or are you welcoming back back? Oh, Ian, <laughs> uh, you have the mic. Why don't you, why don't you tell us what's going to happen? Wait, in who's here? on first? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so my one year uh, following the... Uh, the advice that this should already be happening. Um, I think for the one year, uh, salary ranges will be posted for all tech job postings in the, the US within the next year. So if yeah, you go and look at a tech job, I think the unions are going to insist on it. I agree. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is mostly driven by legislation that is already passed in Colorado and New York and, and uh, legislation that's about to come into effect in California and Washington state. But most of the big players have basically said too hard, uh, particularly because they have uh, remote available postings. It's easier to just uh, give a salary range for for every single job posting. Uh, with some companies offering some absurd ranges, I, I believe that there was a Netflix posting that had like the, the range went over went into seven figures. Um, it had a, a a huge huge range. So I mean, I think our, I, I also I kind of think that like posting salary ranges is kind of the least we can ask of folks. So I'm glad that folks are going to be able to meet this kind of bare minimum. But yeah, you know, good, good good prediction. Certainly, at Oxide, it's really simple. So we we definitely post our salary range. It's a very tight range. Yeah, it is. It is uh, <laughs> going to be pretty humorous to start off with. I think. I think there's going to be some some pretty crazy ranges posted. I do kind of wonder if it's going to cause the mix of compensation to, to further shift towards uh, RSUs and other compensation that they don't have to necessarily post in that range versus, um, you know, or, or vice versa, whether they're going to start paying a higher salary and lower um, stock-based compensation to be able to pump that number that is public um, I kind of wonder how the incentives are going to play out there. Mm. I see, but but cynically, that you're figuring the number kind of doesn't move, but rather the bookkeeping around it changes. I saw, yeah, I, with, I, okay. With both your prediction though and Adam's prediction, you've got kind of the tech worker in the driver's seat, and do you not see a coming bust at all? For I mean, I think with every major company laying folks off, I I, I don't know. I I I mean, I certainly agree with you that it that it's it is companies should do this, but I I don't know that they're going to be. Uh, a, it feels like um, the the tech workers are going to be are going to have less control than they've had in previous years. Oh, I think that they're definitely going to like the prediction of the whether they're going to post salary ranges is easy. Um, I think that they're going to because their their hand is forced by legislation. Um, I think the part that is going to be interesting is to see exactly how that uh, the the kind of second or third order effects of salary being a more public um, concept uh, yes. 
where many tech jobs have previously um, kept salary, even salary ranges pretty closely under wraps. Um, when that uh, information comes out to the worker, I kind of wonder how the incentives play out, whether that plays out to um, paying uh, more in salary because it is something that is public and comparable from job to job easily, or if it means paying, um, you know, less of a range in salary and more of a range in bonus and RSU where where uh, the numbers can be played with in a in a hidden manner. I'm not exactly sure how the incentives are going to play well, out. Well, that's kind of interesting. I mean, I definitely feel that salaries being, uh, with salary ranges not being disclosed, um, companies often let themselves get out negotiated, I feel, um, by uh, by employees and especially brassy ones. I mean, one of the part of the, I, folks, I'm sure are aware but we are very we are not we are transparent about our compensation at oxide we also happen to be uniform about our compensation um but part of my observation was that the that salary negotiation rewards the brassy not necessarily the people that are actually the best um and uh you don't unless uh you are hiring someone to be a salary negotiator in which case you should pay the best negotiator the highest salary it just did not it does not make sense to and so i wonder if you're just going to have yeah tighter range as more employers like hey look we would love to pay you more but sorry this is the posted range you're a good negotiator but you're at the top of the range yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how that's going to play out, but I think it's going to be super interesting to see how the dynamics change as that information is public. I mean, the information was semi-public via um, anonymous postings on Glassdoor and Levels um, and other sites of, of similar nature. So people did have some level of understanding of what those numbers look like, but um, only if their company was of a certain size. Uh, and even then, the numbers are like, you know, I'm not sure how much you trust the anonymous posters on 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 those sites to to give a a full truth. <laughs> yeah, maybe not that much. Uh, yeah, I right, good good uh, good one. Your prediction? What's your what's your three year? Um, my three year is around uh, large language models, and I think that uh, at a three year range, um, search engines are going to be really struggling with spam uh, due to large language models making it easier to generate large amounts of content with not necessarily a large amount of human input. Um, I think that that's going to kind of explode the already existing spam problem that they're, they're struggling with, and that's going to be a real challenge for general purpose. So search, so search engines become unusable because there's such a volume of spam content and, and they're not good enough at, at effectively spam filtering or deciphering what's real content from what's just confident generated spam that's well I mean, this, yeah. is the, this is the problem with these large language models is like they believe everything that they're told on the internet so this is how they end up being racists and everything else why they have to like yeah. correct the, because they just consume the inhale the internet and i've wondered about this too ian like what happens when these models start inhaling their own bullshit and they believe that they're certain because they read the result generated from some other model or themselves that was totally certain um, and do you think we're going to have? I think we're already seeing some efforts to use uh, to use trainer on that to actually differentiate human written content from G from large language model authored content. Um, and I, you wonder if that's where uh, we're going to see a lot of intellectual endeavor. 
I'm sure that there's going to be uh, continued uh, arms races on that front of um, language models uh, generating more and more believable content, as well as um, search engines and others coming up with ways to detect automatically generated content from those language models. Um, I think that the there will come a point where it becomes difficult to write a tool to detect the content generated by those language models without a high false positive rate knocking out um, like genuine user generated content. So I think that that is going to be a real challenge. Uh, and I think that the there's there's always an arms race between you know the the people generating spam and the the um, the people trying to sift through that spam to to find useful signal to serve up on search engine result pages. Um, I just think that in this three year time frame, we're going to see the scales kind of err towards the spammers even further, and it's going to be a real challenge to dig out from underneath that um, within a three year time frame. Yeah, interesting. Uh, it does yeah, remind me of. Did you ever read David Macaulay's Motel of Mysteries, Adam, as a kid? No, I haven't. No. Do you, do you know who David Macaulay is? Yeah, it's, absolutely. Uh, like Castle and some of these other yeah. Castle and yeah, City exactly. Pyramid. So David Macaulay wrote this book that I that was just delightful as that I loved to read as a kid called Motel of Mysteries. The premise of which was that the world. It was I'm reminded of this Ian because you're saying the world being buried by garbage. The uh, the U.S. Postal Service uh, makes mail free, and the the world is instantly buried in junk mail. So there's this apocalypse of junk mail, and the world is buried. And the year is three thousand and something, and an archaeologist has found a motel that that the archaeologist infers to be a temple and it is all about the misinterpretation of things from the 80s as so the in particular and it's all very much in the style of the tomb of tutankhamun um but in the, the the one of the pieces that definitely struck with me was the archaeologist's future archaeologist's wife uh demonstrating the ceremonial headdress and it is a toilet seat that she's wearing around her head <laughs> with the the toilet lid up behind her head and sanitized for your protection the band holding it onto her forehead it's really uh really very well done so th 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 this is what's going to happen Ian, when the world is buried in garbage that it is created we are not going to be able to know what's real and what's not anymore and future archaeologists are going to misinterpret what we were doing <laughs> Yeah, I, think the, I mean the inter the Internet Archive definitely has a, a an interesting job there as well, right? Where totally like, what what I think the the from an archival standpoint, you probably want to archive all of this content. But on the other hand, like if do they be, have to become more selective as to what they archive? I don't know. It's a it's a challenging problem. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, what's your six year? Uh, my sixth year is around the AR VR space. Uh, I think within the six-year time frame, uh, Apple both releases and then pulls out of the uh, VR AR market due to a lack of adoption. So they release something in the next, I don't know, one to two years. There's some rumors that it's going to be this fall. But I think that within six years, they'll pull out of the market because they are unsuccessful in getting mass adoption for this product. 
Love it. I also love just to to like to Tom's prediction as well. I love the parlay where you've got like the the <laughs> the, 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 the two predictions. I think it's great. That's a great prediction. Yeah, I, I, that seems that seems plausible. I I think that's a that's a good one. So yeah, I, I love the six years in particular because it's just enough time to feel like not only could someone do something crazy, but they could also regret it. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Yeah, that's. Yeah, right. I mean, I feel I feel like uh, Apple also have had a number of uh, like surprise hits in the hardware space, where like you would you look at the AirPods business and you would you would say that prior to AirPods coming out, Bluetooth head, headphones were like not cool. Um, if you saw someone wearing Bluetooth headphones and talking down the street, you would think that they were generally not super cool, but. Uh, uh, they managed to turn around that perception and image and, and produce a product that uh, that has generated a huge amount of business for them in the in the AirPods line. Apple Watch has also gone pretty well. So I feel like this is, you know, it's a bit of an interesting prediction because Apple has managed to turn around these markets that, that uh, previously were uncool and make it into something that worked. But uh, I think that I feel like they're going to not be able to make it happen for VR and AR. Um, for you know a number of different reasons, I think the pricing is going to be crazy, and I feel like the the um, number of people who are going to get value out of an AI headset or a VR headset is pretty low in in practice. I think it's a very cool gimmick to to play around with, and then you kind of get, get absolutely. Over it, I think is what we've seen. Absolutely, I, I, yeah, I, and I, I also feel like this is something that the and Adam, do we want to intersperse our predictions or do we want to? Because I do. Um, if, you, if you've got a germane one, drop it in. Sure. I believe that Meta renames itself to Facebook. Um, so this it, is what, it, how, what year? What year is this? Well, so I have been vacillating this entire time on this being a three-year prediction versus a six-year prediction. Uh, Hart says, uh, "Well, uh, Head is actually regretting that it's even along for the ride." Uh, Hart says three-year. <laughs> head says six-year. Um, I'm I'm going to be inspired by the victory of your own heart this past year, and I'm going to make this a three-year prediction. So, uh, uh-huh. Meta renames itself Facebook alphabet style. The um and uh Meta still exists. It only exists for the for Zuck's vision of the of of the metaverse. And Zuckerberg has been convinced to step down as CEO of Facebook and to run the metaverse entity. So that he. This is quite a parlay. Oh my goodness! But, uh, a lot of stuff going on. This is like the, uh, right now. Head is throwing up in a trash can as Hart has the mic. <laughs> <laughs> Someone take the microphone away from Hart. Hart, Hart is gone. Where is Hart? Hart was in. Oh my God! Hart's got the mic. Uh, <laughs> And I know that this is like, I mean, this is stupid at many different levels, um, and not least that he's got, that this is something that he would need to do of his own volition, that there's no amount of, of shareholder activism that can get him out of the company. But this idea that he has is a stinker, and I feel that everybody knows it. And every, I feel that I, I've just, I've yet to encounter any person real person who's like no i want to live my life with a headset on and the fact that when my my own 15 year old washed out of it and then when we watched that headset get sold and sold and sold i'm like this is not good man if you if you've not won the 15 year olds for this 
this is gonna. I mean, it's interesting. It's cool. It's neat. But it's good, neat for like a game. And it's neat. It's just it's small. It's not a big thing. It's a small thing. It's a it's an important thing. Yeah. Small thing. So yeah, that's that, that 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 is is my is my three year. Um, maybe I'll, um I I'll, just to get them out there. Um, so I can only go to one spot in the recording. Do you mind if I give a one year and a six year? Go for it. Go for it. Yeah. Uh, um. So uh, one year. Um. Musk is out of both Twitter and Tesla, neither of his own volition. Well, so, okay. So how does he get kicked out of Twitter, not of his own volition? Like the- debt holders. So I think the, oh, okay. I, I, the, the the way he structured that he's got the, I think the debt holders are and I think that that is going to look less like him being fired and more like him being persuaded to find someone else and the debt holders finding someone else and then more or less forcing him to take it. Um, and I, I, not in charge of software and servers is I, I, I right. So so I think not I should say out as CEO. So not necessarily oh, okay. involved in Twitter, but out as CEO of Twitter, and it's just very clear a year from now not that it's not clear now but that this is just a complete god-awful mess and he should not be running the business uh but i think he also will be out of tesla not of his of his own volition i think he'll be forced out of tesla because i think that okay now i really like that one now which one if you had to if you had to flip a coin or or whatever which one comes first i think tesla comes first because he's he's disinterested in running that company he's just not running it right now and I, I think that's absolutely right. And I think the shareholders have noticed as opposed to the absence of shareholders on the other side. Yeah. And as Hart was contemplating making this prediction, Head really wanted to just check out what the, what the shareholder rights were for Musk and to what degree he's got, what percentage of the company and what are those super, super majority shares or super voting shares. Adam, do you know anything about the dynamics there? No, no idea. Yeah. Okay. Well. All right. Sorry. Sorry. Head. Hearts made another prediction. So that's uh, that's my one year, and then um, my my six year because I and I'm not at all surprised that I you know I I kind of felt going into this that we would see two themes. One, I just feel with with Meta going so long on the metaverse, it's really tempting all of us to make metaverse and and VR AR based predictions. Um. Then also uh, kind of generative AI based predictions. So I'm going to predict that in six years. We no longer call it generative AI. In fact, the term AI has fallen out of fashion, and we are no longer thinking of these things as replacing people, but rather, oh, God damn it, Hart's making another prediction here. God, sorry, Head, you're over three. I was like, I've been hearing this. I've been hearing this prediction for twenty years. <laughs> no, but this time, no. Here's why. So, and and that that we are really thinking of these things as we should, and and instead of thinking of them with kind of uh, intelligent metaphors, or with certainly with human metaphors, or as with AGI, we are thinking of them more with mechanical metaphors, more as like. Uh, you know, assist, auto, the, uh, things where we Task are... Task orientation, yeah. Yeah, and we're... We, because, I mean, honestly, like, I think the, the large language... I mean, how badly, Adam, would you want to get a large language model to inhale our own technical documentation at Oxide so you could get it to write a glossary? Oh, my God, that'd be unbelievable. Right? That'd be super useful. Uh, and that, it's like... Yeah, that'd, that'd, that'd be... That'd be it's super or useful or a similar summary or yeah, or, yeah no, 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 or just being able to be like hey could for this i actually want you to uh to i want to let you loose on this technical documentation and i want you to write a fact for it which feels like yeah. 
and that feels incredibly powerful and useful and no one's gonna be like oh my god you're putting someone out of business it's like no you're doing something that actually we don't have the ability to do right now and it would be really really valuable but we need to stop thinking of it as like a chat bot or something that's going to like write a term paper that this is actually um and it's uh, it is also stuff that is i think probably a good fit for it um because the the the, the stuff that it's inhaling is all technical documentation like you're not actually sorry like you're not actually slurping in QAnon conspiracy theories um and so so i think that we have uh we are thinking of the, these technologies are important and they're big that they, they the degenerative technologies in particular are what we now realize are big breakthroughs, but we are, we also realize that they are not on a trajectory to, to replace human intelligence. AGI, they, they have not advanced AGI at all, um, but what they have done is that they've made possible some things that were not possible that are important and valuable. So is that... It, that it, is, it, that's a terrific prediction. I love that, Brian. And I think that... Uh, and actually, I, I, I welcome this new AI future, not AI future, excuse me. You're just welcoming the fact that Hart went went three and zero against Head for these predictions, and you just can't wait to watch Head get Head is, is will, will cackle as as I am over three for these. Um, All right. Well, I, I got a couple more. In addition to my ludicrous tech uh, unionized tech workers uh, one year prediction, I've got uh, I've got a couple of uh, mediocre three year predictions. First is that HPE is acquired. Uh, they 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 have basically been flat like since the since the diverger or whatever it was, uh, and my even lower pri- probability do, do uh, even, parlay who, on that. Who are they acquired by? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, do you have an acquire? Oh, well, yeah, yeah. HP. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who the acquirer is, but that's my low probability parlay on that. HP acquires <laughs> HPE. How beautiful would that be? That would be very beautiful. I am hoping that HP, being the 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 acquirer, um, will uh, will enforce some common sense. And HPE, in particular, HPE, the the, and I've wondered like how much eight chan does Twitter need to devolve into before HPE GreenLake will stop spamming me with ads? Apparently, like not enough. Wherever we are now, it's like it is still. It's like the, it's like the last advertiser left, at least in my own feed, is HP. IBM has disappeared. I'm sure IBM is still advertising there, but it's, IBM has disappeared from my feed on Twitter. Um, when I I've, I've been going there actually less and less and less frequently, but so I, I probably only go there once every couple of days. But HP is still there, so I welcome this acquisition, Adam, and it's a great prediction. <laughs> I don't know about that, but my uh, the, uh, maybe more of my head prediction is that. Um, I, Brian, I, you you're familiar with ZNS in uh, the NVMe protocol. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The zone namespaces. Yeah, so yeah. this is like turning over more control over uh, placement on these these flash <laughs> NAND devices. Um, but there's been like Meta uh, slash Facebook, I guess, at the time, and uh, Google have have kind of backed away from that and said, you know what, uh, flash vendors, actually, we don't want to completely have to drive. We'd still like you to do a bunch of stuff. So there's um, a bunch of stuff called flexible data placement um, that lets that is more of a collaboration between the the NVMe device 
and the software. So I think in three years, there's going to be a general purpose, open source file system that is widely used um, the, around this technology that, that then starts to enable kind of cheaper, lower DRAM, um, you know, less complicated FTLs. Is this your way of telling me that you're writing such a thing? Does Oxide author this? Is this a... Um, you know what? I, so probably not in part because... Um, no, in part because if we were going to write something, it would not be a general purpose file system. If we were going to write something, it would be a... It would be something that enables uh, block reads and block writes, like the kinds of things that operating systems want to do to us, not you know, a general purpose file system that stores like database files or, you know, MPEGs or whatever. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, this is something, I mean, um, th this is something I feel that, that uh, you've been look, waiting for for a while. I think we've been all if, waiting. If you're for saying that I've been predicting this for 20 years, like that's also fair. I wanted, to, I wanted to stop short of that. It felt mean spirited. It felt like I, yeah. but yeah, it feels like it's maybe 15 years. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wrote an article for the ACMQ maybe right. too long ago where I said, we want this, we need this. And I think that there has not been the economic incentive to it and there have not been the devices there. But I think with with pressure from Google and, and Meta and the hyperscalers uh, around some of these technologies, they're starting to make it much more feasible. So, uh, you know, here's hoping. Uh, yeah. Hard. Okay, so that's your, um, that's three years. That was also three years. That was also three years. Six years, I, I, I'm out on a limb here because I feel like either this is going to be folks saying you're crazy or that happened two years ago. What are you talking about? Um, so in six years, I think that general purpose, like most general purpose CPUs are going to be heterogeneous in terms of cores, meaning yeah. that there yeah. are going to be a bunch of cores that all execute the same ISA, but have very different performance and power characteristics, um, even within the, the, on the same die. Okay, but so the same ISA is an interesting constraint. So I actually am. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I am with you. I definitely think we're going to see these these heterogeneous dies where we've got different compute elements that are are on the die. Um, but so you think they're going to they'll they'll share an ISA? I, I don't think they'll share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so let me, so the reason I think about shared ISA or or why I think I I I think that that makes it a more interesting prediction in that then you start to schedule workloads based on you know, how much power you want to devote to it or or characteristics of it rather than having, you know, uh, different, you know, entities that you've compiled specifically to run on a, on a one core or on another, but rather having the, the scheduling of these uh, workloads, uh, you know, be the responsibility of higher level software that or, or user intervention that then puts it in a more efficient place to run. Huh, interesting. So, so in other words, you've got a there's a single unified system that's able to see all of these. Um, but yeah, interesting. No, I, I think it is interesting. I don't think that I don't think that 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 is not. We've, I mean, we have certainly seen elements of that in computing's past, but I, I think that not nowhere near to the degree that you're predicting. I think it's a good prediction. Six years. Well, I, I don't good. know the I don't know the degree to which Apple is doing this to some degree, but I think with some of their M series chips, for sure. Yeah, yeah, they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff to, with... to some degree yeah. on 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 different processes where they have um, efficiency cores and performance cores on the same die, and the if the performance cores can burst to a higher clock rate, whereas the efficiency cores are, are a little bit more constrained, 
I think that some of that ends up just being binning, though, where they they look at the quality of the the um, the dye and work out which ones are which um, cause are good and which ones are bad, or even like print a dye with I don't know sixteen cores on it, and they find out that um, six of them are bad, so they sell it as a ten core part. Um, you know, I think that this like efficiency versus power cores on the same die already exists in some packaging, but it may not be on every part. Um, yeah, I, I'm predicting that this becomes, you know, more uh, more or less ubiquitous. The general purpose CPUs kind of work this way. And, and so, it, it, uh, it, it, so I it's kind it, of wonder what you think the split is going to be <clears throat> on efficiency versus power on those. Like, do you have a thought in mind of in the next six years, what do you think a core count would look like, and what number of those are going to be like? I, I really don't know. And and then I, I was thinking about my predictions, thought about this one, and then looked back at my predictions from last year, and saw that I had predicted, um, made some predictions around power efficiency being increasingly, you know, relevant to you know how we, you know, when and how we we run workloads. So it, I, I think that when I get in a predicting mindset, my, my mind turns to uh, some of these, uh, you know, power scarcity, uh, you know, environmental factors uh, creeping into how we construct systems. So I, I, so I don't necessarily think that they're going to share an ISA. I think what we're going to see is more of this accelerated compute being brought on die. And but I share, I, I like the vision of being able to actually have a single system that has much greater insight into this. And it does actually remind us of a prediction that we, you know, we didn't revisit, but should have, Adam, is the, the we had um, a, a guest um, last year, a year ago, um, talking about the NVIDIA acquisition of ARM, which is very much on a year ago, and saying that that would ultimately, it would take a long time to fall apart, but it would fall apart over antitrust. And of course, it fell apart much faster than that. And that, that, so that was a very prediction and i feel if nvidia closed yeah. arm like it, it, that your prediction has got potentially a very different flavor to it where it is mm-hmm. uh, um and but absent that i think it's i think it looks more like perhaps an x86 future or an x80 i'm not sure you probably see that future for arm as well but it, it, it feels like nvidia would have had more a part of that future before oh, that yeah. acquisition fell apart yeah, yeah, having having very heterogeneous like single die kind of systems. Yeah, for sure. And as long as we're gonna, uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go you after you, Brian. I, well, I was gonna say that we also have. Uh, we, the, the, keep in mind, we've got Laura's prediction that Risk Five is gonna be uh, is gonna be in the data center here. I mean, I think we've got what two more years to go on that one. So um, maybe maybe Discord will alienate their user base by putting Risk Five in the data center. You know, giving <laughs> uh, giving Laura a split decision. Right. Uh, and then the last one I want to make for six years was that um, the VC funds for that that invested in 2022 and 2023 <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, you think they actually crush it? The VC funds oh, that- in 20 the, the the funds that have invested in 22 and 23 okay. have have crushed it. That this 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 winter that we we're going to has caused extremely shrewd, capable, smart investment. And that that uh, generates a new frivolous bubble, uh, you know, six years from now. Only six and, years and, to the next bubble. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that I think that uh, that that VCs are going to be so convinced that that they have the Midas touch 
that it's just going to be another cycle. And how about all these VCs with these crypto funds, the Web3 funds, the Web3, the, the term that we don't even recognize anymore um, per your prediction a year ago? Um, well, well, well that was like, down? I mean, I'm talking about like, uh, you know, that was, you know, before the, the correction in like March 22. I'm, I'm talking about the investments after that. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So you, the, the investments that are made in the coming apocalyptic wasteland uh, are actually pay off hugely in six years. Usually. Yeah, that's right. That's exciting stuff. I um, yeah. did you make any one year predictions there? I feel like you got out of a one year prediction. Oh, my my uh, tech workers of the world unite. Oh, the tech workers of the world unite. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So okay. So I am gonna. I, so I actually feel the that I, I think you're you're definitely onto something, and that we I think that you're seeing increasing tension for sure, um, and we're seeing that kind of bad behavior certainly I, I think that musk normalized some bad behavior as we talked about on when we talked about layoffs uh, i wonder if we're not going to see more bad behavior as you have uh folks talk about unionization because you most execs in tech don't actually understand at all their le legal obligations when it comes to workers who are organizing, you end up seeing labor violations as like people are fired, for example, for advocating a union, um, which it, which you can't, you can't do. Um, so I wonder if we're going to see more of that in the coming year before we get to full on unions. But yeah, may, maybe we won't get to that point. But I think that, uh, I don't know, I think that, you, you know, obviously the pandemic has, has, has and will continue to have re repercussions for how we work. Um, and the relationship between employers and employees. But I also think it's inspired this, and maybe this is just because I moved from San Francisco to the East Bay, but like <laughs> folks are, are seem to be a little more relaxed about their relationship with their employers. And um, maybe some of the folks who are strivers are striving a little less hard yeah. and saying, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, you know, I, I could, I've seen more people taking gaps and quitting without necessarily having the next thing lined up. Um, and I think that you know there there may be a relaxation and 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 feeling like, um, you know, while I agree, Brian, that there there is this contraction and is this winter that we're in or is the coming um, that will increase uh, employer power. I think on the other hand, employees can can sort of choose how much they want to acknowledge that, and uh, I think that some of that might be coming as well. It, it, it's going to be a a tempestuous year. It sounds like. <laughs> exactly. Strap in. Stry, I, which ultimately the, the, uh, the, it is the union at HPE that, that forces their hand to be acquired by HP. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, do we have, and I think we had, we had, um, I'm just looking at the chat at some of the other, uh, there's some good predictions in, uh, in the chat. Um, I, there, there is someone who, uh, you know, a lot of folks agreeing that, yeah, I, I don't see VR being mainstream. Um, but you, got, you do have some folks who love their VR headsets. So, um, you know, it, it is definitely going to have its place. Um, one, I like this one, uh, one year Twitter is bankrupt in three years, Facebook slash meta is bankrupt. Those are bold predictions. Uh, Sam 801, actually one more bold than the other, I think. Uh, Raggy asks if anyone has got a strongly held copilot prediction. Adam, do you have any copilot predictions? Do you, have you used copilot? I have not used Copilot. Um, I really should. Have you? No, and I would not. I <laughs> Copilot, just the thought makes me. This is like Copilot reminds me of 
software engineers that I, I, I just cannot deal with writing code with. Namely, I, I actually, I, I really want to sit down and like think about the problem with my notebook and be kind of like free of distraction. And Copilot, it feels like it's exactly the opposite. It's just like someone who's like very loquacious and certain and constantly suggesting things and won't shut up. It's like, okay, I really need, can you leave, please? Can I just think about the yeah. problem by myself, please? I'll leave, actually, I'll leave. You know, the prediction I wanted to make oh, around, around oh. this space that, that my, uh, my heart talked my head out of was, um, you know, around this generative stuff, putting low code and no code kinds of products out of business where you can just say to the computer, this is the kind of program I want you to write. But my heart dissuaded me from that because I don't know who's going to debug that. And it certainly is not going to be the, the same thing that wrote it. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Take this eat. The, the thing that I will put out as a prediction is probably more in the three-year kind of time frame, but that you are going to see languages that are placing more priority on having a pre-trained copilot style model than on documentation. Mm. Because ultimately, like, if it's a brand new language, but everybody gets the general gist of how to write code, like, you can make the argument that, like, it's much easier to read code than it is to write it if you're writing it in a language you have no clue about. And if you're writing some sort of like domain-specific Rust-style, HDL-style kind of thing, um, that I could make the argument that if you are going to be supplying a Copilot-style thing, it will be possibly, you know, more the tool that people reach for rather than docs or stack oh. overflow because it doesn't tell you that you're a fucking moron every time you ask a question. I, I, so I kind of got such an experience about that. I, I also kind of feel that like the I feel kind of the same way about the I know that IDE support is very uh, valuable. But I also feel that it allows people to kind of paper up the complexity in a system and allows a system to potentially become I've seen as like it feels to me that like you see these Java systems that Java based systems that to me are it just it, insanely complicated and really require an IDE to reason about. I don't am I am I, I, I characterizing? Yes, you are sounding yes, you are sounding like a cave person. What, what was your question? <laughs> well, I mean, hey, 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 hang on. Like well, part of the problem with Java is that like that was just like everyone getting so high on the concept of object orientedness that of course I'm going to need an enterprise fizzbug fizzbuzz factory builder builder factory builder enterprise fizz factory right yes but, but, but Brian for example like I I can't I, I mean I struggle to write or understand Rust without Rust analyzer or maybe put another way, like you, I don't really want to live in a world without Rust analyzer. This is not an intervention. Unlike yeah, the other oh, what, what would an intervention look like? I understand this is not an intervention, but if it so were an example, intervention, like, what would it look I, like? <laughs> I would be saying your name a lot more. But like when, I, when I'm looking at uh, code review on GitHub, um, I'm like, what? the fuck are the intermediate types um, in part because I'm in some more uh, mappy foldy code here and there. Um, <laughs> and you're like, I, I, I don't want to like, I, I love these annotations that, that the IDE is giving me these days. Um, I, so then, I does, like, does that relate at all to copilot? So in terms of the, I, I mean, to, to the prediction that we're going to have languages that have, instead of having documentation have like, no, don't worry. This like assistant will help you write it. 
Ugh. I, I I think it's a great prediction, and I hate it. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not too far divulged from the prediction that Brian made of having a tool that could ingest your documentation and generate um, a language model or a model based on that documentation. It's just another step along that journey, right? Instead of in generating a glossary, you could generate a you know. Uh, a uh, bot coworker that you could ask a question of, and it could tell you the answer, right? Like, uh, what happens when I load a, a model from the database using this method, or something, right? It it could give you an answer in 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 text as it may come from the documentation, or it may come from the the uh, you know someone who read the documentation is able to spit out something from that. So, like the it's not that far removed from that. Well, yeah, I mean, I think in the, well, this is a, and then you're kind of getting closer and closer to like Clippy, which I, I mean, I what, what, do you, what are your feelings on Clippy, Adam? I I I, I like Clippy. Uh, complicated. No. Yeah, I, I think I mostly like I think I mostly like Clippy, and uh, one of the reasons I like Clippy is because I'm I'm not ashamed to admit it. I use VS Code, I use an IDE, and it like lets me like one click like try it out its suggestions, and then uh, you know one oh, keystroke to invert is, it if I hate Clippy. it. This is Clippy, some sort of Rust thing, as opposed to like yes. the Microsoft's yeah. paperclip. Yes, okay. named named an homage for some re weird reason. It's a very weird reason. I I kind of feel like anyone who's going to get this reference is going to be disgusted by it, and someone who's not going to get the reference, like what's the point? I it's a, it's very strangely named. But yes, this is not Clippy, as in Microsoft Clippy, circa nineteen ninety six or whatever. This is Clippy, the 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 the, the Rust program. Rust the Rust yeah. linter, well, it's it, it, and it kind of it, it advises on best practices. So it will say, and which I mostly agree with. There are some of them that I think of like, oh come on, I mean, really, that's more readable than you, Clippy. But there, and then there are also <laughs> there are also some situations where it gets a little bit confused, and it's it's found something that is like not great. But its suggestion is like definitely worse. But the fact that it's not oh, yeah. great is actually a good point. Like, all right, this is a good point. And then I do feel like, man, the thing that it definitely like busts me on, which I do appreciate, is uh, when it looks. Okay, that's that's an intervention right there. <laughs> like that's a goddamn intervention. No, not file size at oh, all. Okay, just a guess. But, yeah. but, but, but why don't we? Why don't you get this off your chest? Like, let's just be done with it. Have you ever loaded up dtrace minus c in GitHub? I'll tell you, you haven't because it just doesn't look because you'd still be sitting there. And that's my fault. My fault. It is my, that's my, like their, their poor software is, is my fault. Well, it's somebody's fault. Look, I, it, it, it is actually, when they did the, the port of the, the I mean, DJ has been important in several different ways, but the, the, the Linux folks at Oracle, the first thing they did is broke it into a million different files. And I, the, the, you know, I, I to me it just doesn't add that much value. I know that this is yeah. I, I, I you're fine. No, I'm, I'm actually I'm actually with you. And, and I I was just saying because Clippy has that kind of fussiness. I would also say the free BSD folks did the same thing, and they immediately regretted it. And it didn't take six years for that prediction to come true. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, because it's like it, you're not you, you're actually. Um, it, I mean, there's definitely time and a place for obviously uh, for different files and different uh, to use the file system as part of program structure. And I probably okay, look, fine. I I probably use it less 
then maybe even I should, but certainly less than others. We, like, I, we talked about Java. I mean, one of the things I hate about Java is the 10 billion files necessitated by it. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you on the other side of it being just as problematic. Yeah, there, there, there is another extreme. And I do feel like, so that's a good, good example of where when you've got a gazillion tiny files spread throughout the file system, you are really relying on the development environment. Like you can't, it, like you're not just saying anyone can kind of bring an editor. It's like you actually need in order to reason about this, you're going to need something that really understands how the file stru- the file system structure correlates to the program structure, um, and th- 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 that that can be that can be a bit brutal. Uh, but so, but I what think is Clippy it, actually ding you for? Clippy, so Clippy, the where Clippy really busts my chops, and it's just like totally right, is when it uh, I hit some of its complexity on type complexity. When, and this is where I, I'm getting like dirty. I mean, because I think one of the things I love, I do love about Rust is Rust is very rigorous, but it's also very loose in some delightful ways. I mean, and it's easy to get strung out on tubules, it, like real easy. And it's easy. Maybe maybe it's easier for me than maybe other people. Maybe, you're like world. you're like it's great. Like I don't. I can have this incredibly complicated structure, and I don't have to name anything. I can just do dot seventeen anything. and pull out the seventeenth yeah, component. You can desugar it when you need it, so you can actually like. I mean, it it like having a a, a result of Brian, an option, are, of are a you, bakery of a table. No, but, no, no, no. Are but, you just producing massive unnamed bit fields? No, no, no these are bit fields, but it, it's like it, 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 it's kind of easy to accrete a and and this is when Clippy blows the whistle on this. It's like always right. It's like what is this? And you're like Clippy, what is this? Clippy's like this should be a type. And you're like Clippy, this actually should be a type. It's like time to actually turn this into to an actual like structure. So I and then the other one I, I hit that it uh, whenever Clippy is upset about the number of arguments to a function, it's it's right, and I know it's right, and I've known it's right before yeah. I ran it. Um, so I no, I think it's good. I I I like Clippy, and I I generally like its suggestions. Um, other than like, does the is empty thing bother you? It does not, uh, as opposed to len equals zero. Equals len equals zero. It's like really. Um, That's the hell we're gonna actually, die. That's like, weird. I I don't know. I sort of like that one, but I, in that it's simple and right. But I agree with you that it's like, come on, what are we what are we doing here? This is where I feel like um, if we can channel some of our colleagues, I feel like Cliff would explain to me why is empty would actually allow the compiler to generate better code than len equals zero. So I'm sure there's a good reason for it somewhere. But then um, that one, I've also just like I also just like accept it. I just like I'm not I'm not fighting that one. Um, and yeah. in general, not fighting Clippy. Um, I, I think so. I think Clippy's pretty good. But so I, th- I guess the question is like I, I like I like Clippy, but Copilot gives me an autoimmune reaction. Um, and it, it, I, and I, 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 and I guess this is the, my prediction with that had more heart than head is that I would like to see some of the technological foundation that is being used in something like Copilot actually go into things that I, I would use more the way I would use Clippy. I would use it more as a tool and less as a colleague. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, so uh, Brian, are, are we hearing that D-Trace is adding, um, large language model support to the prompt? I, that's it. Well, I think. Can you imagine writing a D script with, <laughs> oh, no, no, with no, Copilot I, sitting over your shoulder? No, no I did this. I, this is what I did. I so no, I I asked it, and this is where you realize that like this actually, 
this chat GBT as it exists today is more gimmick. So no, I asked it to um, instrument um, all. I asked it to like instrument functions during boot time or something like that. I, the the, uh, the um, and the script that it gave me was wildly wrong, wildly wrong, and it gave it to me with like total confidence. And I asked some follow up questions about like how did you like who taught you to do it this way. And it was crazily wrong. And I think like Detroit lives in this like really tough milieu for with respect to these large language models, where it is like large enough that it can like you know go read Brenton's blogs or whatever. I mean, it can inhale enough information to get some confidence, but not actually enough information to get to get because it's not you know Rust or you know it's not it, it is not a it is not a system that many people actually use. And it, it, enough use it to put stuff on the internet, but not enough to actually be able to, I think, it correctly train these models. So, yeah, have you done this at all? I don't know if you had it write Descripts. No, I haven't. You should have it do it. Because I also feel it's like, and this is where I'm also realizing, you know, like, this thing is a bullshit artist. With like, As with a bullshit artist, when they're bullshitting about a topic that you don't know, you're like, oh, this person seems convincing. And then, <laughs> and, and then they like drift into territory that you know well. You're like, that's just totally wrong. Why would anyone... Did you so, see me um, ask? I mean, part of that's kind of expectations, right? Like, I mean, are you considering it on the level of a senior engineer or on the level of like an intern who happens to like be familiar with Python because they learned it in school? Well, so like, the, you know, the, like, like, if, if, like a lot of us could really like, you know, just like, okay, fine. Yeah, write the boring parts. I can code review it, right? Like, here, do, do my unit test, right? Um, the versus, problem is, like, well, I, I expect the, you to like generate like a rate extort or something Matt, out of nowhere. I would rather right? write. I'll write the unit test. It can write the code. I, I'd rather split it up that way. Well, and I, I think that the, the the problem is that it's certain and it's wrong. It is the problem. Yeah. So it, it's like that's actually not a good attribute to junior engineer. That's actually a terrible attribute to junior engineer. Um, <laughs> it, it, right. That's actually the worst attribute. That's actually the worst engineer. attribute. Like you want the person yeah. you can ask so, questions. Well, yes. I mean, the, the, the question is, do you interpret what it puts out as confident, right? Like, Oh, it's, like, it's confident. Like, I mean, well, I mean, like, it spits out something because it's a computer, right? <laughs> right. Like, I mean, the, I mean, I, I guess they could put, like, smiley faces next to it if they, like, are really happy or, like, you know, like, sad faces if they're, like, yeah. And then, like, you know, like, the, the scared, like, begging emoji if they really have no effing clue what's going on. Like, I don't know. Um, but, I just missed, like, so, all right, so speaking of which, we got to get to you, because you, you, you came in, I think, with a three-year. Do you have a one-year and a six-year um, in terms of predictions? I mean, like, one, one year's got to be something about CXL since you're a computer company. Like, 2023, the year of CXL, I don't know whether it nosedives or, like, actually continues after that. Um whether you'd call it the year of CXL because it's the only one or because it's like the start of it. I don't know. Well, what, what's your take on it? Well, you're, you're, yeah. you're getting me in a, in a, in a wounded state um, because uh, we just came out of the uh, – we, we are been spending uh, this week doing our, our compliance um, for, uh, for electromagnetic interference. So uh, you, ca you catch me just coming out of the chamber, trying watching the double E team try to, to hone in on exactly where uh, we are, are seeing radiated emissions at particular frequencies and where that's coming from. And actually, CXL came up as part of this. And uh, part of the challenge is, boy, you push those clocks over cables are just bad, bad news. 
um, there's a there's a lot of challenge when you've got a clock over a cable. As I and so I'm I'm probably a victim of my uh, of my work day to day, but I definitely think that that is a challenge with respect to CXL. Um, I I personally think that that there's also this very weird idea that CXL. Uh, was like, don't worry, Optane is dead, but it's being replaced by CXL. You're like, that makes no sense at all. Um, this idea that it's going to kind of allow for 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 disaggregated memory um, seems kind of nutty to me. So I don't know. I think CXL. Who knows? I, I, I'm I'm not sure that we're going to see that in the next year. But I mean, so like, yeah. I, are you thinking of that in the sense of like the the wildest dreams mesh network over PCIe fabric disaggregated? Your yes. entire data center, yes. one gigantic machine with CXL. That's right. Yes. Yes. Okay, that, that's never. That, that's never. That's never flipping happening. Like, yeah. The, 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 that is the way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so um, fever yeah. dream. Not going to happen. Um, but like in terms of like you know replacing like the DDR4 buses, maybe. Like like that almost sounds more plausible. Yeah, I, I don't know. CXL like, I, I, feels like a solution in search of a problem right now. I mean, it also feels too. like it, it misses its calling as a, as a cryptocurrency exchange. I mean, like, why? <laughs> I mean, I mean, shouldn't FTX be a, a, a bus transport and CXL be the... the I, uh, I mean, Brian, I'm just saying you have the power. <laughs> um, and In then, Matt, Matt, do you have a six-year? Um, um, six-year prediction, we will see an increase in the rate of improvement of power efficiency of high-end computing. All um, right. So, like, like on average, you see like roughly 10x over six-ish years. We might be seeing like 20 or more this time. That's you know, and I think it's so, so like 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 you know, you know what? If if you want me to put like some numbers on it, you know, exaflop for a megawatt. Exaflop for a megawatt. That is the way to bring that prediction home. I like it. Um, yeah, I think the and I, you know, Adam, this is kind of in line within the spirit of your prediction last year. And um, I, yeah, I, I, I'm with you, Matt. I think that that is, and I like the the, the exaflop for a megawatt. I I, I like um, the, uh, but I do think that we are we've got to be close to beginning to really think about the, these efficiencies writ large. Of course, it does also feels like. This, along with like the death of titanium, I'm trying to think. Oh, and also that the uh, the main memory becomes non-volatile, Adam. That was also one of our 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 classic, our, our, our classic evergreen. That is definitely not not yet come to come to pass. Um, well, but, I mean, like I, I, titanium didn't really ever make sense for how it was marketed, right? Like, there, there's no way that was ever going to be like a consumer PC architecture, right? Um. I mean, not saying they didn't try, but like. Uh, and then uh, the, w one of the questions, I don't know if you, know if you've seen the chat, there's a, 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 a question about Rust predictions regarding the Linux kernel. I think that we are going to see whether it's, I mean, I think the Linux kernel too, but. Um, oh, or, or Adam, did you reply no to that about oh, the Rust No, I said, has anyone, no, I was just saying, has anyone made any. No, uh, no they've not. Yeah. Can, can, can I just tee up another one here on, with regards to the computer science Rust course? Sure. I think that you will see a better chance of it succeeding in the double E department than in the CS department. That's interesting. That yeah, is interesting. interesting. I, I, that's interesting because I also because feel like... like it, 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 I, this is something I was trying to kind of find a way to, to express earlier, that I do feel 
that it, to, to best appreciate Rust, you really need to understand memory and you, you kind of need to understand what the alternatives are. Just like the, the you know, the, the presence of structured languages did not chase assembly out of the curriculum. And we hit assembly like pretty early um, in, in in the curriculum. We hit, we hit assembly, you know, often first year students learn uh, assembly. And that to me uh, was a, I mean, because I kind of like, I don't know about you, Adam, but as, you know, coming into university, the assembly that I had done had basically been from copying out of magazines or what have you. Like I I had seen it, but I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and then to learn that, like, you have these primitives and to really understand what memory meant, I felt like it was a big aha moment. And I kind of feel that you need that aha moment before you really appreciate Rust. So Matt, to your point, I think getting a little more traction in the, the from the double E side is, is really, that's interesting. I think that that, that, that seems well, plausible. And, and, and I've got a, also sort of like a completely different set of reasons for it. And it's more sort of of the clean water variety. Um, because like the first thing in C that you learn is that a char is eight bits. And the second thing that you learn is that a char is not always guaranteed to be eight bits because a byte may be seven or nine because of somebody in the 1960s, even though the rest of the world has moved on. And like, you know, Rust, like with like U8, U16, I16, F32, F64. U128. Um, right. Like, you know, like all of this, like, actually is like, okay, good. We're finally being honest about how a computer looks in 2022. Um, in addition to that, like if you're teaching microcontroller C, which is normally like the first programming course in double E, yeah. you don't necessarily have malloc, right? You may be writing in an environment with like 4K of RAM. So you're not, you're not gonna be mallocing and freeing and doing all the stuff that like makes people scream at Russ because like, like, what what do you mean you're not you know like what what do you mean you don't have a malloc oh okay fine we can work yeah, with that yeah you um, know like you, get, you, you get something that's like a printf but actually like decent you know it's, it's interesting and we certainly have got you know with the double e's at oxide who i've learned ross at oxide and i've made contributions to to hubris and the other things that we built um and i've been and i've Use, I mean, I dare say, you know, Adam for our colleague Nathaniel really started his first Rust was in Hubris on the microcontroller. But then uh, when it came time to do something totally different, where he was the, the collecting part numbers and doing something that was very kind of much more, um, you know, it was strictly in user land, definitely not no standard, absolutely standard, uh, went to go use Rust to do it. So I think there's that there's some interesting, that's an interesting thought, Matt, for sure. Yeah, I really like that, Matt. That's a good one. Sorry, go ahead. The other point on that, I guess, is like to, to go way, way off into left field on like Erlang. One of the things that like uh, Armstrong, one of the inventors of Erlang says is like, all that we did is just acknowledge the physical reality that the speed of light exists and therefore cache coherent pneuma is a fiction. And like, guess what? Erlang just popped out of that. Uh, and like, I feel like Rust is a slightly less opinionated way or a slightly differently opinionated version of the same effectively. And like, if you start with relativity and like physics and like, no, there is a physical computer core, like the, the abstractions make more sense just in the sense of acknowledging that the physical world exists. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's a, a, a very true. 
All right. Well, I think I, Adam, I know we've 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 gone. Uh, we always know this is going to be a bit of a, a big one, but we've gone. I, yeah. uh, I'm sure you're. Um, Kid's making his own predictions, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> right. Maybe he's predicting that he's going to be upset that dinner is late. So, uh, with, with, what, what yeah, yeah, but we're on uh, we're on to season three of the Oxen Friends. Uh, who would have thought that? Yeah, and it's been it, who not? And I this has been, I mean, really um, terrific. My audio problems, my my grievous <laughs> audio problems aside, embarrassing audio problems aside, um, this has been a lot of fun, Adam. And, and I, I'm glad that you highlighted at the top that uh, we we actually. I uh, made the, the, the you you got us as a podcast. May, you made your New Year's resolution to do that, and that has been huge. I think to get that that doctor has been fun for other people to un, to to see it. Um, my mom has started listening to the back catalog. By the way, <laughs> she thanks. Yeah, my 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 dad too. He listened to the one with uh, Sean Silkoff and and was relieved when we sorted out the audio issues. So, you know, some things don't change. <laughs> some things don't change, but it's been a lot of fun. It's been great to have everyone in this new, uh, the, the new vector. Um, we are glad that Laura's prediction is not yet correct, as she is She is also, I think, relieved that her prediction is not yet correct. Uh, Discord continues to be a pretty good experience. But uh, interesting themes this year. So this theme, your themes, just to recap, Adam, it seems like, um, we had a, a, a lot of uh, generative AI, ChatGPT related predictions, uh, a lot of AR VR related predictions, uh, and a lot of Rust related predictions. Actually, mm-hmm. I think it feels yeah. like the good and, themes uh, all. Yeah, and if you didn't get them in, uh, feel free to post them and uh, onto the um, to the GitHub site, and we'll review them next year or in, in three years or in six years, assuming we're still doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And for those of you who made predictions in the chat, a lot of good predictions in the chat too. So let's be sure to get those uh, into the show notes so we can actually capture those. A lot, a lot of good stuff as always. All right, all right, Adam. I I vow. So I think I'm just gonna like. I'm I'm not gonna try to use the. Uh, I'm I'm gonna stick with the, the phone here. So I, I vow to, uh, to not have crappy audio. That's good. Good. Good resolution to end on. <laughs> absolutely. All right. Thanks, everybody. Happy New Year.